Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Once again, St. Louis and surrounding areas, Dave Simons filling in tonight for At Your Service, certified financial planner by day and the occasional fill-in radio host at night. Although it has been a while because of the uh, Cardinals baseball season, of course, I don't uh, really host the Dollars and Cents show very much at all during the baseball season. And also, you don't get a lot of the At Your Service in, in the nighttime either. But that's starting to change now that baseball season for the Cardinals, unfortunately, did not quite pan out. Like I said in the first hour, we should be there. We spoiled Cardinal fans. Expect our beloved team to be in postseason. And man, do they have some work cut out. But I'll leave that to the sports guys. Hey, um, if I were to tell you that the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that venerable stock market benchmark, is now down for the year, would that surprise you? Some of you would say, no, I don't think so. It's been pretty weak. Others are like, really? I thought the market was like up double digits. Well, it depends on the, the part of the market that you're talking about. The NASDAQ, that high-flying technology AI-filled index, is still up about 28 29% for the year. It was up close to 40 at one point. It's an unbelievable first half of the year. The S&P 500 right now, even after today's big decline, is still up 7.5%. That's pretty good. But folks, there's a story there. You have to know how the S&P is constructed because not all names are created equal. It is not an equal-weighted index. The larger you are, the more influence you have on the performance of the index. So, for example, Apple is the largest company in the country, if not the world, 2.75% trillion dollar market capitalization it is by far the largest company by size not by stock price but by size of company in the s p 500 that one stock out of 500 that make up the s p that one company is seven percent of the s p 500 number two is microsoft at 2.36 trillion and it's worth 6.53 percent of the S&P. I could go down the list of the top 10. It's Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Nvidia, Tesla, Facebook or Meta. 
Berkshire Hathaway, ExxonMobil, and finally, number 10, United Health. Those 10 stocks out of 500, since only 2% of the index in, in just terms of the names, account for 32% of the direction of the market every day. So see how this works? If we had a year where your biggest names were really suffering, but the rest of the economy and the rest of the market were doing well, it would be misleading the other way. We can do a market-weighted index. In fact, you can buy it. There's a, there's a mutual fund, an ETF, that if you think, oh, man, I don't like how well these stocks have performed at the very top. I think they're going to have their comeuppance. I think a lot of these other stocks are cheaper, so I don't want to own the S&P because I think the Apples, Microsoft, Amazons, Teslas, or whatever are going to go down. I, I'm just saying this hypothetically. I don't necessarily believe that. And you want to own the benchmark, but you want all the little guys to be treated the same as the big boys because you think the little guys now are going to have their breakout party, then you would probably want to go and buy the equal weighted index. Well, guess what? The equal weighted index year to date is down 2.0%, 2% flat. Isn't that amazing? So let me kind of Repeat that again. The S&P 500, the headline news is, oh, even after this decline here lately, the S&P is still up 7.5%. Well, it, that's true. Technically, it is. But it's only because of the big boys and girls on Wall Street that have done so well have really masked the underlying weakness. You have the Dow Jones Industrial Average of 30 well-known stocks. That's down 2.1. And then you have the equal weighted index of the S&P also down 2% flat. 2% even. And by the way, the futures market, we can kind of see how the market may open tomorrow. The Dow's already showing it's down about 100 points. So I, we've just got a little bit of a mess that we've got to get through. Now, back on August 3rd, I write a weekly commentary. And um, I've got about 1,100 of you subscribers. Most um, are, are KMOX listeners after all these years that I've been hosting the show. And on August 3rd, I, I, I do not predict market moves in terms of, well, I think the uh, S&P 500 is going to be up 12.3% this year, or I think the Dow is going to be down 6% this year. And here's why. No, I just talk about, look, these are the things that you should be aware of because of what's happening behind the scenes. So be careful if you're being really aggressive in your investing right now, because things are starting to, we, we see the storm clouds. So I'll speak in terms like that without getting too specific. So on August 3rd, in the commentary, as the stock market was hitting its year high and there was bullish sentiment and greed everywhere, I wrote the following. It's here and now that I must do the unthinkable. Some might even suggest unforgivable. I have to be the bad guy who takes away the punch bowl. I've been to these parties before, and they typically end with a few sorry souls being drug out by their heels. The ones who partied the hardest will be the ones who eventually face plant when it ends. And it always ends one way or the other. Yes, I'm going for dramatic effect to make a point. Historically, stocks take a breather in the August to October period when you have a combination of A, historically strong first half, check. B, Investor sentiment rising to greed levels, double check. 
And that's exactly where we find ourselves as we enter into August. And then I went on with more explanation. So my whole point in that commentary is, yeah, I know everyone's excited. We had this great first seven months of the year. But folks, this thing's it's gotten ahead of itself. Interest rates are still going up. We don't know that the Fed is done raising rates. You might want to take your foot off the pedal just a little bit. This isn't market timing. I'm not suggesting at that time, two months ago, that you need to go and start selling stocks or anything like that. Just just don't extend the risk out too much. That was kind of my point. And so sure enough, and that was two months ago today on August 3rd, since then, the Dow is down, I had it here, down 7.3%. I'm sorry, the S&P is down 7.3%, down a total of 8% from its high. The NASDAQ is down 7.5% since I wrote that, down 8.6% from its high. And the Dow itself is down uh, right at 7.5%. So it's we're not even in official correction mode. So I don't want to overstate the risk here. A correction is typically defined as when a market benchmark like the Dow or the S&P falls more than 10%. We haven't hit that yet. We very well could before this is all said and done. Do I think we're going to fall 25 or 30% before this is all said and done? I don't think so. But I can't guarantee that. The odds of that happening are, they're not zero. What if we had some more financial institutions that we don't know right now are on life support? Maybe the Treasury, maybe the Fed knows about it behind closed doors. We, the investing public, aren't really aware that maybe there's some other trouble out there. Some folks who survived the first bout of dramatically higher rates in the spring lived to fight another day. And now as rates are back to hitting 16, 17-year highs, I, I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Now is not the time to take a lot of extra risk at this point. So we are somewhat defensive in our own portfolios and have been for some time. No, we're not selling a bunch of stocks, but we're keeping it with good quality blue chip companies that pay dividends that are reasonably valued. I'll tell you, the bond market is the one that really is the most fascinating to me. You know, the bond index has never been down more than two years in a row, ever. In fact, it's only been down two years in a row one other time in history, and that was over 40, almost 50 years ago. Well, the bond index, the bond market was down in 2021 and 2022. And as I speak to you right now in 2023, it's down again, all because of the last few weeks. So this would be unprecedented for people who think they have good conservative quality bonds and they look at their statement and go, wait a minute. I'm still getting the dividends, I'm getting the coupon, but my principal is down. If you own bond funds, bond ETFs, or even if you're holding individual bonds to maturity, here in the meantime, the bond prices are going down as yields go up. And there's really been no place to hide in other investments. Gold is down year to date. It's down 3.7%. It's off 11.7% from its yearly high. The only place to really hide has been short-term stuff like cash, which a lot of places now are paying more than 5% just in money market. You have to look around sometimes. And even short little uh, T-bills, three months, six months, nine months, you can get 5% or better. That's where people are starting to float toward and we are doing the same. We will get through this, my friends. 
We'll live to fight another day. We always do. But that gets me to this point before we take a break, and I want to come back and explore this. One of the most maddening things in my line of work is when I see people on my side of the fence, professionals, touting long-term averages for like the stock market. Well, you should get 9 or 10% on average the course of a long period of time because, well, that's what it's done for the last hundred years. It's misleading. It doesn't actually speak to what you're trying to do in life. And I want to explore that a little bit more. You need to understand this concept because you'll be a better investor because of it. You're listening to At Your Service. Dave Simon's filling in and we shall return. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. News. Talk. Sports. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back, everybody. Dave Simon's filling in tonight. It is right at 920 in St. Louis as I'm coming to you remotely from out east somewhere, but I'll be back home soon enough. And sitting in the actual studio chair in KMOX two weeks from tonight on, uh, what would that be, October 17th, I guess, filling in also for uh, At Your Service. We'll see what the markets are doing. Of course, we'll always be smarter. I it, Nothing would surprise me, of course. We could turn this thing around and start to go up just by some bullish comment the Fed puts out like, uh, hey, we might think about starting to cut rates in January. The market would love that. Uh, don't count on that. This Fed has been very, very clear that they're going to stay here at this party for a little bit longer. I think they're going to be done raising rates. That's my own personal professional opinion here. Uh, I also think they they went a little too far, and I think that's going to cause us perhaps to actually dip into a recession next year. I see the signs of it in my own little corner of the world anecdotally. And here's just one thing to tell you that that's been happening. And I guarantee many of you listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. People with these variable rates, let's say they borrowed money on their home, a so-called HELOC or some kind of a securities based loan or they're on margin or whatever, even credit card debt. But now when we went back and we had some kind of really low short term borrowing rate on something, some kind of loan at two and a half percent, three percent, two, whatever it was. Now they're resetting those variable rates, resetting at eight percent and higher. What's happening is people say, well, I'm not paying eight percent. So they're going into their investments or they're doing whatever they can to pay down that debt. They're either paying it off 
or aggressively now attacking principle. That is taking productive capital out of the economic engine just to pay down debt. And we're seeing that play out now across the country. That will have some impact on economic growth. With that said, I don't see any reason that this has to be some severe recession. People are still spending money. We're not seeing a lot of things break down like we normally would in the economy. But I think just enough where you could see GDP growth actually turn slightly negative for a couple of quarters next year. I very well could be wrong, but let me put it this way. We're not going to see some kind of all of a sudden economic turnaround anytime soon. I I just think we're going to be grinding the gears slightly slower. And that, my friends, will have huge political ramifications next year. People vote with their pocketbook more than anything else in the world. That's a proven fact. Go back and here's the most dramatic example of that. George H.W. Bush at the time had the largest and highest approval rating in presidential history. It was up close to 89%, unheard of, because of going in and getting Saddam Hussein, uh, Saddam Hussein out of uh, Kuwait and the American rally. And we remember Whitney Houston singing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. And it was rah, rah, rah. And everyone said, we love America. Even the political sides were getting together. And, um, and we gave uh, President Bush at the time an approval rating of close to 89%. Doesn't that sound crazy that a president could actually have a rating that high in today's climate? But it happened more than 30 years ago. And yet the man lost the election less than two years later. How? How is that possible? Because we went into a recession. Republicans didn't like Bush because he broke his read my lips, no new taxes pledge. Democrats had lost faith in him because we did go into that recession and an upstart relatively unknown governor from Arkansas by the name of Bill Clinton ran a masterful campaign and beat him because of the economy. Nothing, no other reason. If we go into a recession next year, the Democratic Party is really, really going to have some issues on its hand. Um, <laughs> of course, the Republicans do, too. Uh, I'm not even going there. It's, it's amazing where we find ourselves right now. Uh, so back to the task at hand, okay? Before the break, I had talked about one of the issues that I have a big problem with are folks who use these long-term averages that they tout. And they say, you know, the stock market has averaged about 10% a year for 100 years. And you know, that's factually correct. When you include dividends, reinvested dividends, the S&P 500 since 1926 has averaged 10.4% a year. It has. Without dividends, it's right about 7%. So 7 to 10%, take your pick. That's pretty good. Do you, uh, let me ask you this. Let's use the 10% number for long-term average. How many times do you think the market's ever actually finished a year between 8 and 12%? Let's go 2% on either side of the 10. 8 to 12%. Out of nine, we're going back to 1926. So almost a century. How many times? Four. Four times it's happened. Well, let's extend it out even more. How about 6 to 14%? Now we're 4% either side of that 10. 6 to 14%. I mean, come on. Out of 97 years, 
I don't know, a, a big chunk of it, 11 times. 11 out of 97 years has the, has the S&P 500 actually finished between 6 and 14%. I want to give you one more, and I'm going to get really silly here. We're going to go 8% either side of the long-term average. 2% to 18%. Now, come on, Dave. You're asking out of the last 97 years, how many of those years has the market actually finished the year between 2 and 18%? I mean, come on, at least half, right? A majority? Uh, 24 times. That's 24.7% of the time. Let's just round it up and say 25%. Only one out of every four calendar years has the stock market actually finished a year between 2 and 18%. My friends, returns are chunky. Try telling an investor where they're in the middle of a bear market. Ah, stay with it. The long-term average is 10%. You'll be fine. If you believe that's true, then you've never been a financial advisor. You don't know what it's like to be an amateur counselor and psychologist to help people deal with a bear market. 10% long-term averages are quickly forgotten. People have amnesia. But same to the other side. In the late 90s, I've told this story before, and it's absolutely true. The worst year that it's been the hardest to manage for me, and, and I think most advisors, most investors would understand this, was 2008. Okay, that, that was really tough. You know what the second hardest year was? 1999. 1999, one of the great years of all time, but it was more than that. It was the fifth year in a row of 20% plus returns for the S&P. And the NASDAQ in one year was up over 80%. Did you, do you realize that? Did you forget that? In one year, 1999, the high-flying technology-ridden, uh, uh, um, the, uh, <laughs> the index that's uh, just heavily uh, got a lot of technology stocks in there, biotech, high PE, high growth stocks, up over 80% in one year people didn't like the fact that maybe they were only up 15 to 18%. Conservative investors, the widows and orphans who had only owned CDs before, all of a sudden wanted to cash out and get into the NASDAQ, and you could see it coming a mile away. That was a difficult year to try to keep people focused on their own goals. And so let me finish up this little segment by telling folks when we're in the middle of this, this is a corrective cycle. Do not lose sight of what you're trying to accomplish. Do not let today's noise get you off the uh, uh, off route. I know it's cliche that investing is, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint, but it's so true. What I would also urge you though, is not to get too caught up in long-term averages. Who says it's going to even do 10% over the next 10 to 20 years? There have been times where we've not done that. The entire decade of the 2000s, the S&P 500 actually gave us a slight annualized negative return. Very similar to the 1930s. That stuff happens. The 1980s and 90s were much better. The 2000s were much better. So maybe this is a decade that we don't get that long-term average. What you have to focus on is what is a reasonable return for you based on your risk tolerance, based on what your goals are, and you stick with the plan through thick and thin. Yes, you can 
manage the edges, as I like to say. Maybe there are times where you take a little off here, you add a little over here. We've been doing that too, as we've been adding to short-term money markets, short-term bonds as we're getting through this phase of higher interest rates. But we'll come out of hibernation there at some point, and we will add back to some of the more traditional investments probably sooner rather than later. All right. So that's my diatribe and all the things about um, uh, long-term averages. Speaking of diatribes and speaking of issues that I have, how about the commercials and even some radio shows that talk about annuities and the fact that you make money when the market goes up, but you never have to lose money when the market goes down. It is misleading. And if I were king for a day, I would change the wording on it. How they get away with it, I don't know. When we come back, I'm going to pitch to a recent little quick hit podcast that I recorded. It's roughly 14 or 15 minutes long, and it gets to that actual issue, the misleading verbiage that's out there about annuities. I actually think annuities have their place. So do not take this as some screed against that particular product, but we need to be more informed and we've got to clean up some of the language that's being allowed to permeate the airwaves out there. Stay with us. I'll explain when we come back with more at your service. And the sound of that money sounds good. Unfortunately, some of it's been kind of disappearing here lately with the financial markets, hasn't it? It will return, folks. It always gets a little bit better, but I just think we've got some tough sledding here in the near term. Hang in there. Um, I don't think it'll morph into something too nefarious uh, at this point. Uh, I want to get back to what I was talking about right before the break. Um, this. A lot of these commercials that you'll hear about, it's interesting. They don't ever use the word annuity. Isn't that funny? It's like they think that's a dirty word, and it doesn't have to be. Some people use annuities very effectively because they understand them. I recorded a podcast and released it three weeks ago on my Simon Says site, and it was just simply titled The Hidden Truths of Annuities. So I really like uh, everyone to just kind of sit back and listen to this because I think you'll find it very informative, maybe even somewhat entertaining to some degree, but it gets to the heart of what you hear in these shows and on these commercials when they say, well, you get all the upside of the stock market, but you don't have to participate to the downside. Is it too good to be true? Yeah, up to a point it is. Here we go. Hello again, everybody. All right, we're going to have some fun today and play a little game, okay? We're going to play a king or queen for a day, and you get to change one thing in your line of work, or if you're retired, whatever you did previously. So think about that. It becomes the law of the land. You get to change it, cement it into law. For me, in the financial services industry, and I, I can think about several things that I would change tomorrow if I could. But one in particular for the purposes of today's quick hit is, is this. If I could, I would change the egregiously high commissions that are paid to advisors and insurance agents to sell annuities. Tell me you did not just say that. Yeah, I, I, I just said that. Now, 
This is not another screed or diatribe against annuities. It's not. We actually use annuities in our business. It's a, it's a very small amount of our assets, but there are times where there is a specific need. I'm going to zero in on one particular part of the annuity industry. The reason I'm doing this quick hit, because it is the most misleading, purposely so, and a lot of commercials are, are doing this these days. And I know that you've probably heard these things because I'll get calls from people and even p- people listening to my X radio show who have no connection to me. I've received many emails over the years saying, Dave, I hear these commercials that sounds too good to be true. Can you kind of explain what I'm hearing? And that's the purpose of today's podcast. What, what you're hearing is this investment that if you put money into it, you can participate in almost all of the upside of the stock market without losing a dollar when the market goes down. Have you heard these? Put it another way. I have my cake and eat it too. The market goes up, I make money. The market goes down, I don't lose money. In fact, I still make money. I know you've heard these things. Folks, can we just use some common sense here? use our brains, some critical thinking, just logically. If such an investment really existed, that you could put money into this product and you can only make money, no matter what the stock market does, market goes up, you make money. And without changing anything, magically the market goes down and you still make money, wouldn't we all have virtually all of our money in such a product And yet, that's what's being sold. Well, like a lot of things that are not exactly what they appear to be, there's always a little kernel of truth to it, and you're not being told the real full story. So that's what we're going to do here today. All right, I'm going to set it up this way. There are lots of different kinds of annuities. We're just going to talk about one, and it's really the main one that you hear on these radio ads. It's a variable annuity that has typically some kind of guaranteed income benefit down the road. Now, let me stop here and say, this is not a recommendation to buy annuities, not buy annuities. Again, we use them very sparingly. We're not on either side, never, ever, ever do it, or it's great for everybody. Neither one are true in our book, all right? You have to do your own research, and annuities have a lot of, man, they're just a lot of legal language. You're going to have to really take your time. And hopefully you work with somebody you trust inherently and is going to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, and all the in-between, because there's plenty of both for annuities. Again, not right for everybody. So with that said, now let's move on. Let's say that you put in $100,000 into this variable annuity with a future income benefit. That probably is the most popular annuity that's out there, very general, and that's the type of annuity that's being advertised. Now, inside the annuity, you can invest in all of the different kinds of mutual funds or ETFs they have in there, just like in your 401k. Now, technically, they're not called mutual funds in insurance products like annuities. They are called uh, sub-accounts. So keep that in mind. Subaccounts is what they're called. So you put money into these subaccounts and you diversify. You've got some large cap, small cap, growth value, international, domestic, bonds, maybe some commodities, just like you would in your 401k. And you just watch things ebb and flow, like always with the markets over the years, and hopefully you make money over the life of the annuity, right? 
But when you get your statement or you go online and look at the value, you will see two values. There is the real value, your underlying sub-accounts or funds, how they are doing. And then there is this guaranteed amount. This boring little line that just goes up and to the right, 4 or 5% a year. That's the guarantee. That's kind of what the commercials are talking about. You can't lose money. So it's like you can go back and forth. You get to choose between what the market gives you or what this guarantee gives you. Not really. Let's show you an illustration to show you how this works. So I said about putting, let's say, $100,000 into one of these variable annuities, and you get the 5% guarantee you know is there. We're going to just, for hypothetical purposes, use a full 10 years. Many of these annuities do have a 7- to 10-year life cycle to them. If you pulled your money out early, huge back-end charges. So know when you go into one of these annuities, just kind of know that it's locked up for a while. Most of them will allow you to pull out up to 10% per year, but don't go into thinking that that's what you want to do. Just know this is a long-term investment, 7 to 10 years. Back to the illustration. In this case, we're using 10 years. At 5% guaranteed over those 10 years, it rolls to close to $163,000. Great. Now, let's hypothetically say this is what your underlying subaccounts did. What if... The market doesn't do well. And we go into a 2000 style of decade-long bear market. And after 10 years, your 100 comes back to you less. Let's say 95,000. Now you do have a major decision to make. You're either going to look at that guarantee, which looks pretty good right now, and you're feeling pretty good because you made a great decision. You're looking at this lump sum here of close to 163000 guaranteed by the insurance company or the underlying market value that's less than the 100000 Again, it seems like a no-brainer. No so you call the insurance company and you say, um, I would like my 162000 $889, please. And the insurance company says, uh, you can't do that. That's not your money now. We control it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I know, I know you're sad. I really did just say that. Let me repeat. Back to the illustration again. You can take the 95000 No strings attached. That's the market value. That's your money. You want that guaranteed money? That lump sum is not yours now. If you choose to take that, the insurance company annuitizes it. And the only way to get that money back out is through an income stream, like a pension or like you get with Social Security, and you set up the time frame. Different ways you can do it. A 10-year period certain. You can do over your lifetime based on actuarial tables. You can do joint life. Whatever you decide, the bottom line is that no longer is your money in terms of a lump sum. It's funny why they don't say that in the commercials when they say you get all the upside of the market or upside, I should say, of your sub accounts. All true. You also get the downside. That's true. But you want the guarantee where you don't have to participate in the downside? Well, then you can't get your money back out. Hmm. I don't remember the commercials ever mentioning that. I'll have to go back and listen. Well, it's because they don't. All right. 
So it is buyer beware. Now, again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy an annuity based on that. In fact, the times, the few times that we do put people into an annuity, that makes sense as they look down the road, let's say 10 years and say, well, I'm going to be retired then. I have to generate income for myself anyway in retirement. So why wouldn't I take a portion of my investable assets, put it into an annuity like this, and it, if the underlying subaccounts do well, great. Then I can take that lump sum and then I can do my own annuitization and turn it into an income stream. But just in case the world goes haywire between now and retirement or in my retirement, I would like to protect some of that and guarantee that it is going to be higher than what I put in. And then the insurance company is on the hook and they have to pay me out an income over a predetermined set time. If that's what you decide, and you know that going in, this could be a great investment for you. But there's a reason why insurance companies, financial companies get sued for annuities because many of them are, the clients are not told of that catch until they go in and expect that guaranteed amount in a lump sum and they don't get it. All right. So let me end by going back to the beginning of what I said, being king for a day. This is a major problem for me in the annuity, in the annuity business. Most annuities will pay the advisor or broker selling the annuity 7% upfront. So in that illustration, the $100,000, if I said this was a good investment for you and you agreed, yes, this is good. I could get a check for seven grand. Now think about the wealthier people. If I say, hey, you should put a million dollars into it, I get a check that day for $70,000. To me, that is unconscionable. Uh, that's egregious. And I would stop that in a heartbeat. Now, maybe it was because of pressure from investors and clients, but annuity companies a number of years ago incorporated a second pricing schedule and said, yeah, we still have the 7% to give you if you want it, but we're going to give you an alternative and you can just take 1% up front and then you continue to get paid 1% for the lifetime of that annuity. Really just how most advisors get paid these days to manage regular assets, roughly that 1% fee. That's what we have always chosen because we still have skin in the game with our clients. We take a 7%, again, we would not do that, but 7% upfront, what's our incentive to continue to watch it? We just got paid. Now you get a small little trail of peanuts the rest of the way, but not enough to make any difference. So folks, just make sure that you go in with this thing, eyes wide open here. It is not unreasonable for you to ask your agent or your advisor, hey, this annuity sounds good to me. I understand it. But how are you getting paid? Are you taking the big upfront like 7% or are you taking what's called the level load more like 1%? First of all, they're going to be shocked you even know the terminology there. They're going to be very surprised you even know that is a choice for them. Hopefully they'll be impressed because they know you've done your homework. So now I get back to what I said at the beginning and that is being king for a day and taking away those high, egregiously high commissions up to 7%. I guarantee if I could have my way and take that away, annuity sales would plummet. Now think about that for a second. Why would they plummet? 
don't are we supposed to have our clients best interest in mind for those of us who are fiduciaries now not everybody in the financial service industry is a fiduciary that's another thing i would change if i could but i'm not king for a day and i only get to choose one so if that were the case why would annuity sales decline like I said, we're supposed to have your best interest in mind. So what that tells me is not everybody is selling annuities because it's 100% in your best interest. It's also in that guy's best interest. It's also in that lady's best interest as the advisor because they get the pay, they get paid the 7% up front. So just have that knowledge. We're here to help. Annuities can potentially fit into your portfolio and into your long-term planning, but going with knowledge. And uh, once you do that, you will be a smarter investor, of course, a more informed investor, and as always, a more successful one. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, folks, that was a little bit of a podcast that I uh, released just a few weeks ago. Hopefully that helped. I know you're overwhelmed with information and data there, but uh, hopefully you found it somewhat informative. We'll be right back. All right, my friends, it's been a lot of fun filling in on At Your Service tonight. Again, if you want any access to all kinds of different videos that I've been posting and having an absolute blast doing it, you can just go to YouTube and put in Simon's Says Podcast. You can also get the longer form version just on Spotify. So let's end on a very much, just a lighter note, completely unrelated to anything else that I've been talking about. Quick story. I've told this one before, but it's been a while, and it's all to do with a certain hype of a particular individual that has been global here lately. Back in about 2005, I walk into my office at a prior place, a well-known brokerage firm. And they had an internal announcement, as a lot of companies do. They'll highlight somebody. Well, here's Bob over here. He went and saved polar bears in the Arctic. And isn't Bob wonderful? He works in IT in Philadelphia. Hey, way to go, Bob. So it was a kind of the same thing, but this one, it shows a guy, an advisor, who I didn't know, he worked for the same firm, but he was in a different area of the country, up in Pennsylvania. And they said, uh, his name's Scott. Scott is moving to Nashville with his young, like 14-year-old daughter, I think she was at the time, so she could make it in country music. And I read this, and yeah, it was a cute blonde had this acoustic guitar and you know she had the curly blonde hair and i thought you know that's kind of one of the dumbest things i've ever heard (laughs) here's an advisor who's like going to move his practice to another city just so his daughter can be one of thousands chewed up and spit out okay well to each his own i'm sure they'll be back tail between their legs six months from now that's what i thought His name was Scott Swift, and the daughter's first name was Taylor. Absolutely true story. Uh, I kind of missed that one, didn't I? I, I'm glad that wasn't a stock that I could have invested in because I would be lamenting the millions I could have made betting on that IPO. And it's just amazing when I see the growth of this phenomenon. I don't totally get it. But uh, I do recognize the talent that she has and and the kind of uh, global outreach and phenomena that's occurring. It's amazing to watch. It really is. But uh, God bless her. 
Uh, I think she's actually terrific, and I'm glad my 29-year-old daughter also thinks the same thing. And by the way, her name is Taylor and has blonde hair. Thanks, folks, for joining me. I'll see you again and talk to you again in two weeks. Take care. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.